Hey man, great to see everybody here today. We got some new students, new semester. We welcome you to North Central. And uh, what great energy. And uh, hopefully you're not behind yet in your classes, your reading, everything, just going well. I got to honor somebody that's here. Um, none of you were, most of you were not around in 1989. 1989. October 17th, 1989. Uh, Jeff, you were, you were here. Yeah, yeah, you were here. So, hey, in all seriousness, how many deeply, uh, I was touched deeply, thought all day long, uh, long about Jeff's message yesterday, Jeff. That was powerful, powerful. 1989, I'm about to watch the World Series. The Oakland A's are playing the San Francisco Giants in the, the Bay Bridge uh, World Series because Oakland and San Francisco are right next to each other. It's a big deal. I'm a youth pastor in San Jose. I just left San Jose to go start Harvest Church. I'm 27 years old, and I was back in San Jose that day for a little board meeting um, that night with my advisory team. And so I was back at Bethel Church, which is a large church, has a big sanctuary, and then they have a big brand new gymnasium. And connecting the gym to the sanctuary was a skyway much nicer than this skyway, by the way. It was a huge skyway. It was like, a, like a, a bridge, had offices on it. It was like really dialed in. We have a good skyway. Keeps us warm. But this was like office space. It was beautiful. It had just been built. And you drove your car under the skyway, you know, it was in the parking lot, connected the sanctuary from the gym. So <clears throat> I'm going to watch a little bit of the World Series with my friend Dale Sykes, who's also a staff pastor. It's 5 o'clock on a Tuesday night. October 17th, 1989. I went to Taco Bell real quick. I had my, my uh, spicy beef burrito, my two tacos, whatever they sold back in 89. Got my Taco Bell. I, I parked my car. I come in the glass doors of the gymnasium. And remember, the gym's here, the wall of the gym, big skyway right over the door that connects the sanctuary about 40 feet that way, and cars could drive in. I'm, I go through the glass doors. I walk about 20 steps. I make a left turn to go up the stairs of this new facility. And as I make a left turn, I look back, I looked at, at the glass doors. The glass doors were now about from here to there, from the outside to the inside of the gym. As I'm stepping up the stairs, I see my friend Deborah Schoenberg at that time, who is from Minnesota. And the Oakland A's had beaten the Minnesota Twins. And so we had a little rivalry. She was working at the church for a missionary named Bernard Johnson. And so I see Deborah's coming through the glass doors as I'm, I'm about to, and I lean back around the wall with my Taco Bell, and I go, hey, how about those twins? Just mocking her, just wanted to mock her for a moment. Hey, how about those twins? As the S was coming out of my mouth, the most violent earthquake in, in Northern California hits. The Loma Prieta earthquake, which collapsed the Bay Bridge, I have my foot on the step, my Taco Bell bag. I look at Deborah, and the world goes. I <laughs> she looks at me. We're about 30 feet away. She's like, <gasps> I remember the look. I remember, <laughs> I'm sure I had the same look. I'm like, <gasps> so I secured my Taco Bell. <clears throat> save it, save it. I run toward Deborah. The building is rocking like this, and like the, it's two-story, like it's going to fall on our heads. We go out the door together. We fall into each other's arms. 
And it's the end of the world, and we get out from beneath this overpass that's gonna, this, this skyway that's gonna fall on our heads. We go out into the parking lot. The parking lot is being like, like we're in the ocean. I'm watching um, brick chimneys fall all around across the street. Plumes of orange smoke. The cars are bouncing. Everything's bouncing. Uh, Deborah, her shoes fly off. We're hanging there together like this. It was the end of the world as we knew it. The ground then shook for 30 minutes. Taco Bell was safe. Deborah was safe. I was safe because of Deborah. At that time, I didn't know she was a North Central grad. And our paths have gone different places. Missions, her and her husband, St. Louis. I'm so blessed. I haven't seen her in how long? Since that Taco Bell. Since 89. Would you welcome my life-saving friend from the 89 earthquake? <laughs> right there. Man, when you, when you go through an earthquake together, you go through an earthquake together, it, does, it just bonds you for life. So... Thank you for praying for our little dude, Elias. Uh, I may have mentioned that uh, he swallowed right at the Christmas, right before we left on break, Elias, our little three-year-old, swallowed three refrigerator magnets, little tiny magnets. They were at the top of the fridge, these little square magnets that hold pictures, very powerful. He climbed up on the counter, the little stinker. He gets up there, and parents, you know, they go, it was safe, you know, we're not feeding our kids magnets. And so, but he got them put six of them in his mouth, ran from his mother. She got him out of his mouth. She thought he only had three because she pulled three out of his mouth, not knowing that he had swallowed three. And so these little magnets went down in different ways and then they found each other in his intestines and they joined together, tore holes through his small intestine, tore a big hole in his colon. And he was in the hospital for 10 days and the little sucker went through I mean, a traumatic situation, and we're very grateful to God that he lived. I, I Googled, there's like five pages of toddler deaths from magnets. I mean, who knew? Um, so he's fine, the surgery, got home, and he's just doing well. And two days after he was home, he swallowed a birth control pill. So um, he, he has a little problem right now. It was not Mrs. H's. I just want to be very clear. He was not at our house. He was at my son-in-law and my daughter-in-law's home. So he, but there was no side effects of the birth control pill. We're very grateful to God for that. Uh, raising kids and grandkids. It's wonderful, wonderful. Hey, this morning, I want to take a few moments and I'm going to teach you through uh, some passages in the Bible that were very life-changing for me. I know we talk a lot about the Holy Spirit at North Central University, and why is that? Well, Jesus spent uh, the night of his betrayal and his last teaching at the Last Supper, he gave one of the most profound, in-depth uh, explanations of the Holy Spirit to the disciples. 
And he literally, he saved the best for last. You, you could say that. And so in John 13, 14, right there at the Last Supper and the, then the washing of the feet and the betrayal and Peter's deck, all this crazy, wonderful Bible uh, stories are all converging. But Jesus gave one of the greatest setups to explain the Holy Spirit. Now, for years, I've been a, uh, I was baptized in the Holy Spirit when I was 18 years of age. I saw tons of crazy people, wacky things. It made no sense to me. I saw people speak in tongues and drop F-bombs. It, it made no sense to me. I saw hypocrites, a lot of hypocrites. And so I didn't really see anything life-changing about the Holy Spirit as a child uh, growing up. I saw more negative than positive, more poor examples than good examples. But welcome to planet Earth and welcome to humanity. We're always going to see more negative examples and positive examples in every field of life. Okay, so um, I see these things, but I had an experience when I was, was 17 and I was radically uh, touched by the Holy Spirit in my life. From that point forward, it's always been a challenge to explain it to somebody. What's an even greater challenge is when you try to explain the Spirit-filled life on paper. So college tries to explain, what's a Pentecostal college? That's whack. What, what is that term? What's it even mean? And I, I'm convinced that it will always be difficult to explain Pentecost on paper. Okay. Which means I want to explain what this is all about to you, and you read it, and like, what's this all about? I went back last year, and this is a brand new teaching. I've never shared this before. I went back through and studied again how the Bible set up the Holy Spirit uh, leading to the book of Acts. How did Jesus get people in the, in the, the pre-setting of the, of, of the upper room? How did he explain the Holy Spirit? How did he ease them, disarm them for this sudden powerful thing called the day of Pentecost in Acts 2 where the rushing mighty wind and the cloven tongues of fire rest over 120 people and they all speak with tongues? How did that room even come to be? So I went back through scripture and I want to set it up with this quick story out of Acts 21, beginning at verse 30. The apostle Paul has returned from his third missionary journey. Things are becoming very intense um, and it was headed toward great confrontation. There was a real rising movement uh, against uh, the way or the Christians and the just justification by faith uh, by many in the Jewish community that become uh, uh, converted, wanting to mix works and faith together and circumcision and faith together. They're trying to find the language, the policy. How do we do this? And there were people that, that were convinced that Paul and his and his colleagues were Moses haters. They were law haters. They hated the law of Moses. So this real intense scene, and they're trying to figure out a way to, to manage it and mitigate the, the riot and calm people down. And so Paul goes into the temple, and he um, takes the advice of the executives, uh, apostles, and he uh, goes in, pays vows, and becomes a good uh, Orthodox Jewish person uh, to kind of let them know that we this is all integrated. Uh, this message is not the destruction of, of, of Jewish history and heritage. It is the fulfillment of it. And, but people saw it as an enemy. And so there was great turmoil in the city. And so Paul goes in and it does not calm the crowd down. He goes, pays vows, and he brings other people. They think they're Gentiles in the temple. And this big uproar happens. So we're going to pick up the story in verse 30. 
It says the whole city was rocked by these accusations and a great riot followed. This was a riot, man. The smashing of things, uh, people beating bystanders uh, with their fists. It's crazyville. A riot breaks out. Paul was grabbed and dragged out of the temple and immediately the gates were closed behind him as they were trying to kill him, not silence him. This, this is not like U.S. social justice collisions here. This, is, this was from another place. They're trying to kill him. And so in that culture, it says, word reached the commander of the Roman regiment that all Jerusalem was in an uproar. He immediately called out to his soldiers and officers and they ran down among the crowd and the mob saw the commander and the troops coming. They stopped beating Paul. So they, had, they were well engaged in beating him to death. Then the commander arrested him and ordered him bound with two chains. He asked the crowd who he was and what he had done. Some shouted one thing and some another. Uh, since he couldn't find out the truth in all the uproar and confusion, um, he ordered Paul to be taken to the fortress. As Paul reached the stairs... The mob grew so violent, the soldiers had to lift him to their shoulders to protect him. Like, they had to crowd surf him above the violent mob. The crowd followed behind, shouting, kill him, kill him, kill him. As Paul was about to be taken inside, he said to the commander, may I have a word with you? And the commander said, do you know Greek? The commander asked, surprised, aren't you the Egyptian who led a rebellion some time ago and took 4,000 members of the assassins out into the desert. <laughs> Who were the assassins? But when you've got mob rule and riot and you're trying to communicate accurate truth and carry out accurate justice, it's, it's nil to impossible in a mob setting to pull this off. That's why social media has made it so difficult to bring any level of healing and reconciliation because People don't, are making all kinds of assumptions and misrepresentations, and they're saying, hey, you, that's why it's so critical. I love what we do here. We're teaching how to use this wonderful tool accurately and with ethic. But you see here, it's, just, it's typical human behavior. There's so much noise going on, nobody know, knows who's who or who, who, what people belong to or what they've done. It's just a very challenging situation. And so what happened is they get to the stairwell, and he said, aren't you the Egyptian? He goes, no, I'm not that. You're not? Paul replied, I'm a Jew and a citizen of Tarsus in Cilicia, which is an important city. Please let me talk to these people. Are you serious? They're shouting, kill you. You want to address the people? The commander agreed. So Paul stood on the stairs and motioned to the people to be quiet. Soon a deep silence enveloped the crowd. And the word there in the Greek is a deep relaxation. The crowd became, the riot became relaxed. Now, how do you get a riot to relax? And he addressed them, I love this phrase, in their own language, Aramaic. I believe God has given everybody in this room some Aramaic in their back pocket. It's a gift that you have. It's a talent that you have. It's a skill that you have as a Christian that can make non-Christians relax. You, you have a language gift of some kind, an art, a talent. You can do something, and I will tell you, it's incredibly intoxicating for a Christian when they are in the midst of people who hate Christianity to suddenly be viewed by them as cool. You're, hey, 
You're one of us. And he used his Aramaic gift, his language, to get the non-believer to relax. And I believe that every one of us are going to go into this world and we have gifts and talents. We have topics that, are, that we have great skills and, and mastery of that the world needs from us, whether it be art, film, dance, humor, writing, leadership, whatever it is, that God is going to use that Aramaic talent to open up doors to the hearts of people, to get them to listen and to relax. It says the crowd grew hushed. Whoa. Now, I've been in these settings. I used to do public high school assemblies, and I've spoken in the, some of the biggest high schools in America. And I, I remember one in particular in L.A. at Bell High School, Downey High School, Bell Gardens High School. I'm in front of about 4,000 uh, uh, urban young people and that had no interest in Jesus, and they were mocking me in the first few at the introduction. But about a minute into it, I got them laughing and listening, and my speaking skill... My communication skill got 4,000 people to relax. And I'm going to tell you what, it's like a drug. To get a riot to relax, how cool is that? Man, I, they go, we didn't know you were one of us. Man, you're funny. Dude, you, you've got, you can dance. You, not, they didn't say that to me. <laughs> or like, Man, you're an artist. You're unbelievable. Man, you can sing. Man, you, you, you can tell a story. And it just touches the human soul, and it gets them for a moment to relax. So this is what happens. So now Paul's got a relaxed riot. He's got his moment for the kingdom because God is using his giftings, his learning, uh, in this wonderful kingdom moment. So it says here, in chapter 22, verse 1, next chapter, he goes, Brothers and esteemed fathers, Paul said, listen to me as I offer my defense. When, I, when they heard him speaking in their own language, the silence was even greater. Wow, he's one of us. You really know your stuff when it comes to business. You know your stuff when it comes to this or that. We had you all wrong. We thought you were this, but you're really one of us. That's, what, that's the power of your gifting. That's how God uses your gifting is to create a crease, an opening in the hearts of a world that doesn't know the Lord and doesn't want to listen to you because they've already stigmatized you. But your gift suddenly opens up the door. So he begins to speak. Paul said, I was a, I'm a Jew born in Tarsus, city of Cilicia. I was brought up and educated here in Jerusalem under Gamaliel. Uh, as his student, I was carefully trained in our Jewish laws and customs. I became very zealous to honor God in everything I did, just like you all do today. And I persecuted the followers of the way. Yeah, we did that. He's one of us. He was against Christians, and he talks about arresting people that were Christ followers and throwing them in jail, and he goes on. And he's basically identifying with them. And I was on the road to Damascus, approaching Damascus about noon, a very bright light from heaven suddenly shone down. He starts storytelling his conversion because they're still relaxed. I fell to the ground, heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord, I asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the Nazarene, the one who you are persecuting. The people saw a great light. I asked, Lord, what shall I do? But it was still his story. He wasn't imposing his story yet on them. Get up and go to Damascus, and there you will be told everything to do. I was blinded by an intense light, had to be led by hand. 
And then they prayed for me and they, they uh, allowed me in. Verse 14, then he told me, the God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear him speak. For you are, ne- for you are to be his witness, telling everyone what you've seen and heard. What, what are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized. Have your sins washed away by calling on the name of the Lord. He goes, after I re- I'm still talking, they're all listening. They're like, what? But, the Lord, but after I returned to Jerusalem, I was praying in the temple and fell into a trance. I saw a vision of Jesus saying to me, hurry, leave Jerusalem. For the people here won't accept your testimony. But Lord, I argued, they certainly know that in every synagogue I imprisoned those and beat those who believed in you. And they're going, yeah, that's what we do. You're one of us. I stood by when Stephen was killed and kept the coats for that they took off when they stoned him. And they're thinking, he's one of us. We have found the hybrid. This guy is, knows the path of salvation, but he's culturally just like us. Then he says in verse 21, but the Lord said to me, go, for I will send you far away. Now friends, this is the dilemma that we all face. We love it when people listen. I love standing up here. You're all listening to me. I don't care how old you get, where you're at, saying things and people listening to things you're saying, it's intoxicating. You have to be highly aware of your reaction to their reaction and to not put currency or value, understanding that it's like the donkey, it's the Jesus on your shoulders, dude, not you, that they're cheering. You're the donkey. It's about Jesus. But the donkey thinks it's for him as he goes down into the city. Now, it's not about us. The gift comes from uh, the gift giver. All of your talent, even the ability to learn and retain the discipline, it all comes from the Lord. So when you're exercising that, remember, it's all that charism, that grace in your life that God has given you this ability. You got to always stay highly aware of that or you will get carried away in the moment. So Paul's there, they're all listening, and he's about to say it. He's about to say one word, and it's gonna reactivate the riot. It's all great, it's cool. Creativity, gifting has gotten me to the place where I'm accepted by the masses. But if I say what I'm about to say, everything might shift. So Paul says this, but the Lord said to me, go for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Their racism kicked in. Their religion kicked in. It says the crowd listened until Paul said that word. Then they all began to shout, Away with such a fellow. He isn't fit to live. They yelled, threw off their coats, tossed handfuls of dust in the air, and they said, throw this man off the planet. Now, we all have a decision to make as ambassadors for the gospel. I'm not saying every day is like this day. But there will come moments in your life as a believer where you know if you say the word Jesus right here, if you say the word sin, If you say the word repentance right here, if you say the word heaven or hell, Jesus, the only way, the truth, and the life, the minute you drop the narrow gate, 
Everything shifts. You've lost your cool. You've lost your, your rapport. The, 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 all the relaxed people that love you and your giftings, it shifts. And I will tell you, how do you become brave that when you're faced with a day like this, this isn't every day, but defining moments come in all of our life where we have to stand for Christ. Where does it come from? This is why Jesus taught on the Holy Spirit at the Last Supper. Now, Jesus set up the Holy Spirit this way. There were two things mentioned about the Holy Spirit in the Gospels that were somewhat provocative and three things that absolutely aligned with the most basic human needs of the soul. So let's look at the five things that were said or the five descriptives in the gospel prior to Acts 2. John the Baptist says, I will baptize with water those who repent of their sins and turn to God. But someone's coming after me soon who's greater than I, so much greater that I am not worthy even to be his slave and to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. He is ready to separate the chaff from the wheat with his winnowing fork. So these people go, baptism, Holy Spirit, fire? That's somewhat of a provocative, open-air teaching. But the Jewish listener would have understood from Old Testament stories and prophets the idea of fire being something that refines, something that separates and heals, not simply destroys. So they would have heard this idea of fire and Holy Spirit, not with a Acts chapter two where people are saying, you bunch of whack, wacko people, are you drunk? So when Acts two happened, the crowd said, are you drunk? So notice that up until this moment, there was no indicator where Jesus told his disciples, or John described the Holy Spirit as, oh, and by the way, people are gonna think you're crazy, a crazy drunk person. That wasn't how it was described. It was described as fire. And then it's described this way. Mark 16, 17, the great part of the Great Commission. The Great Commission is actually located in about five, five places in the New Testament. We, if you bring the conglomerate of the teachings of the Great Commission, this is one of the core values of the Great Commission, says these miraculous signs will accompany those who believe they will cast out demons in my name and they will speak with new languages, tongues. That's a little bit provocative. Can you imagine, like, huh? Jesus is telling the disciples they, they're gonna speak with a new, huh? That's interesting. Well, what's that gonna look like? He doesn't tell us. Then he goes into his descriptions in the Gospel of John. And there's three descriptions of the Holy Spirit. In verse 26, it says, but the comforter, and in other translations, the term is synonymous with helper. The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring you to your, to your remembrance all that I've said to you. John 16, or 13 says, but when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you, guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own and he will tell you what he has heard. So comforter, guide, and helper. Comforter, helper, guide. Comforter, helper, guide. Fire, new language. Comforter, helper, guide. This is how the Holy Spirit was described prior to Acts 2. Why? 
Because Jesus was trying to explain to us through his word that the Holy Spirit is going to match, it's going to match the implicit need of, of my church. Now, so I, I kind of cooked it down this way. I see five things leading up to Acts 2 that I tell people about North Central University this way. This collective environment, it's going to be a place where you're going to be refined. What's it mean to be a Pentecostal or Holy Spirit University? Well, it's a place that you're going to be refined. There's going to be, you're going to grow. Things that are sinful and destructive in your life are going to be exposed and the Lord's going to make a way for you to grow a new habit, new pattern, new way of thinking. It's going to be a refining experience. It's also going to be a place of great relevance. You're going to speak with a new language. See, this language miracle was a miracle of, revelant, uh, of relevance. So the university culture is a place of refining, is to prepare that Daniel 512 generation to have a keen mind, be able to interpret dreams, explain riddles, solve difficult problems. I pray that over this school every day for you. Part of that is that you're gonna have a relevance in this world. The Holy Spirit is gonna release a relevance not just a refining over your life. And then personally, here's what's gonna happen in your life in this setting. He's gonna give you direction. He's gonna guide you. The Holy Spirit is gonna give you strength and he's gonna minister to the weakness and the frailty of the human condition. He's gonna give you help. So you're gonna get strength, you're gonna get direction, you're going to be trained to be relevant, and you're going to be refined. And he's also going to give you encouragement, which is comfort. The human condition is plagued by a lack of, by trauma and terror and fear. The Holy Spirit was sent to comfort us. The human condition is plagued by a lack of direction. I don't know what to do in life, where to go. What do I do next? He's going to guide you. And we are just plagued by weakness and inability to have the strength to face. He's going to give us help, comfort, guidance, relevance, and refining. Now they got to the upper room. They started to seek the Lord. And this other stuff started happening that was so powerful. But unless you're in the atmosphere, it doesn't make sense to you. It's hard to explain the atmosphere of the Holy Spirit on paper to somebody that just trying to learn it just academically. You can story tell, tell testimonies. But until you're in the atmosphere, they go, oh, okay, this is what, this is it. Okay, I didn't get this. I, I didn't pick this up on paper. Jesus didn't say, hey, disciples, I'm gonna go away and then you're gonna go in a room and most of the world's gonna think you're drunk idiots. Go for it. Who goes into that room? Nobody goes into that room. I don't go in that room. Like, what? I'm not buying any of that. I said, no. What this is really about is I'm going to refine your life. If the worship team would come up, we're going to bring this to a wrap. I'm going to refine your life with fire. I'm going to give you an accuracy and a relevance with new language, new languages. I'm going to empower you to pierce a culture that has no interest whatsoever in the gospel. 
I'm gonna give you strength. I'm gonna give you direction. And I'm gonna give you encouragement. And I tell you what, I go into that room and I wait. I'm waiting for that. Give it to me, Lord. And then the Lord just changes everything on the day of Pentecost. When that day had fully come and that fire fell and the rushing mighty wind and all of this, and yes, there were those who viewed it with disdain and mockery. But friends, that catalytic setting right there, that those 120 gathered in that setting has changed the world. It changed my life. It's changed your life. And it has far exceeded the mockery and the made fun of. And I think there's a cry for the supernatural, a cry for signs and wonders, a cry for his presence. I think there's a cry to be refined. Uh, there's a cry for relevance, for strength, direction, and encouragement. I want to be in that room. I want to be there. I have no fear of that room. So you come to North Central, man, I believe that's what's going on in our life. That's why the Holy Spirit is so necessary. I want my life to change. I want to be relevant to this world. I want strength. I want direction. I want encouragement. And that's exactly how Jesus described the person and the purpose of the Holy Spirit. So when I'm singing and I'm lifting up my hands and I'm going after the presence of the Lord, I'm saying, refine me, God. Help me, Lord. I've been invited to some crazy settings recently where I'm the only Christian speaking to hundreds of people who can't stand Christians. And I got to stand up. And God gave me some Aramaic. He gave me some ability to talk about leadership that people that hate the Lord in their understanding are listening to me talk. Now, I have an obligation I have an obligation at some point to be truthful to the gospel, to the life change. And God has given us a way to be able not to back down or back away. Where do you get the bravery to say that one word that needs to be said? The Holy Spirit. That's where that comes from. Or we're terrified in front of these mobs that they're going to turn on us and reject us. The Holy Spirit is the secret key to all of it. And that's why North Central really is like no place on planet Earth, friends. You're in the setting. I want us just to begin. What we're going to do is we're just going to, for as many that can, spend this Friday. One day you're going to have a job and a busy life and you, you won't be able to do these Fridays like this. And you're going to remember them well. And so I just want to encourage you to stick around for a few minutes. I'd like us to stand if we can. I would like to invite our, all of our staff and faculty if they would come across the front. And I just want you to be available for the first few minutes of our worship. Any student, any, anybody in this room, visitor, if you want somebody to pray with you real quick, these folks are here. They love you. You don't have to go to your advisor. They could be completely out of your discipline. Doesn't matter. They're available. If you want somebody, you don't have to pray with somebody. You don't have to pray with somebody. But if you want to pray with somebody, just find somebody real quick. Say, man, would you pray over me for this? It could just be this message. But even if you're not being prayed for, these altars are going to be wide open. Just be sensitive to stepping on people. And we're going to go after this and we're going to say, Holy Spirit, refine me. Give me 
a relevant life, strength, guidance, direction, all of that. Lord, bring it to my life. You guys can come even now and start praying with somebody if you want to. We're just going to let Daphne kind of turn this place loose with some worship and just ask the Holy Spirit to fill this room. And uh, you are welcome to stay. As many of the staff and faculty that can stay up at least to 1230, we'll pray together as a team here in a minute. But these altars are wide open for you. God bless you, man. Have a phenomenal weekend. Let's spend some time in his presence. Thank you.